0: Good morning. Whether you're on Zoom or in person, good to be with you. If you're on, on Zoom, um, it's it's interesting here. Um, yeah, but but it's good to be together nonetheless. So five years ago today was my first Sunday as pastor at Church of the Lamb, um, and I realized, yeah. you know. Hey, I'm I realized last week that this was this was coming, and it's sort of funny why it was um, today, so on the 13th, Friday the 13th, five years ago, uh, I had interviewed with Church of the Lamb for the job, but we weren't supposed to talk about it for the next week, and I was in my office at Church of the Incarnation, and Travis texts me and said, hey, I'm in town, can I stop by and say hi? So I said, sure, so, you know, he stops by, and then he's in Aubrey's office. office uh, when I saw him at first. And so I go in there, and so then he hands me an envelope, and he and Aubrey both knew this, and and, and it's, it has a job offer in it. And then Aubrey said, So the pay period starts on the 15th. Could Kevin start on Sunday? <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, Sunday was my first day. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to do something this morning that's a little unusual, and honestly, I don't know if it's a good idea yet. I'm going to let you know in the next couple of days whether this was good. I'm going to give you a bit of a window into my soul, to the ways that God has worked in my life in the last five years. And I do hope it will be encouraging to you. That's one reason I'm doing it. But more than that, really, this is me giving thanks to God in front of you, testifying to God's faithfulness in my life. So, in one sense, it's only been five years, but for Katie and for me, this is the longest amount of time since we were kids that we've spent in one place, (laughs) that we've spent in one church. So, this is really meaningful to us. We're grateful for the roots that we're beginning to develop here, and for the fruit that's been brought on because of deeper relationships that are forming as the time accumulates. Now, a time marker like this also serves as a way of putting down what the Bible calls Ebenezer's. So the word Eben in Hebrew means stone. Can you say Eben? Eben, stone. Ezer means help. Say ezer. ezer? Ebenezer, stone of help. Israel put down a stone in 1 Samuel chapter 7, and they called it Ebenezer and said, Until now, God has helped us. But there's an unspoken claim that's being made as they put down this stone. God has helped us up until now, and he will continue to help us. This is what we're banking on. This is what we're trusting here. So here are some ways that I've seen God's help in my life in the last five years. First, I've learned in a deeper way that the church is a family. When you think of what the church is, you know, churches are small, churches get large. Some some churches are very large, but here's something that a church has to always understand if it is to remain rooted in God's word and God's way of seeing it. The primary identity of a church is to be a family. Now it has to be an organization, it has to be an institution in some ways, but the primary identity is to be a family. So 1 Timothy is a book I've read quite a few times over the last five years. I, I'll just pick it, pick up the scriptures, turn to 1 Timothy, and just read it all the way through. And it, it's a letter from the Apostle Paul to his young pastor apprentice, Timothy, who's in a city called Ephesus. And actually, at the very beginning of the letter, Paul tells Timothy, Remain in Ephesus, Timothy, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any other doctrine. And what I get from that is... Timothy would like to tuck tail and get out of Ephesus, but Paul's saying stick around there, Timothy. You've got a job to do there. But he tells Timothy in chapter 4 verse 6 that uh, Ashlyn just read for us. If you put these things before the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. So brothers and sisters, this, Paul is telling Timothy, is the way to frame your relationship to people in the church. This is how you relate to them. They are your brothers and your sisters. This would shape, this should shape what you expect to give and what you expect to receive in this family, in this group of people. They are family. Well, and, and that means a lot, doesn't it? When people when we should expect that people would be family to us. There's going to be a lot of love, but there's also going to be a lot of pain. That's part of being a family. To reiterate, Paul also tells Timothy, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Now, look, I knew coming into this five years ago what Christians believe about the church being a family. The parish council thought it was important that I knew what Christians believe about these things. Christians believe that Christ has made us into a family. In Jesus' death and resurrection, he has invited us into the household of God as the Father, with Christ as our brother. We become children of God and brothers and sisters through baptism, being forgiven of our sins and raised to new life in Christ. What I did not realize is how intent God is on making us know this in our bones. So the idea of Christians being family is not sentimentalism. It's not warm and fuzzy. As with so much of Christian faith, God has accomplished something, but then God works to make it true within our daily experience of it. So, for instance, God has accomplished the forgiveness of sins in those who come to Christ. If you come to Christ, his blood does cleanse you and make you clean. As Isaiah says, white as snow. But God then works by the Holy Spirit to actually form you into Christ's image, to make you holy and pure, to make you like Jesus. And in the same way, God has made us a family in Christ, but he is also intent on shaping us to act like brothers and sisters. But there's a lot that gets in the way of this. For one, is the way that brothers and sisters often treat each other in the real world, correct? The primary place that any of us is formed, for better or for worse, is in a family. Our families of origin. What we learn in our family, for the most part, reproduces itself throughout our lives in all kinds of tiny ways. And if we learn passive aggressiveness, for instance, in our family, or a lack of emotional empathy and engagement in our families, we're likely to be that same way in every close relationship in our lives. So here's what that means, is all the flaws in our families of origin accumulate themselves right here in the church. God is intent within the church on teaching us what it means to be a redeemed family. What brothers and sisters are supposed to do for each other. How they're supposed to care for each other. To regard each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. This is what God is doing in the church. Teaching us how to go back to our families of origin and show what humans are made to be. So through life with you guys here at Lamb. I'm learning this in deeper ways. I'm becoming a more full person because of my relationships with you. The relational conflicts that I usually love to ignore, (laughs) I'm learning not to do that as much. The peace that I usually really like to keep at all costs, I'm learning that's not best. I'm learning that the hard work associated with deep relationships brings us closer to Christ, for one thing, but then it also makes us a stronger church. And also, uh, this, is a le- this is last, but it's definitely not least, it models for the unbelieving world what God desires for human beings. When we learn here how it is that we're supposed to relate in our families, we can take that back to the unbelieving world, even our unbelieving family members, and we can be Christ. Situations not passive aggressive, not aggressive, loving, forgiving, assertive, creating boundaries. These are all marks of walking with God and learning to be His children. So, the church is a family, not intent on making that so, not objectively, not just objectively, but subjectively, too, in our experience of the church. And this is one thing he's going to be me. Now, two, I'm learning it's okay to be disliked for some things. <laughs> oh, this is a uh, fun one. <laughs> hey, it's going to be okay. We're family, right? I'm learning. Paul tells Timothy, don't let people despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Now, here's a way I've come to read what Paul says. Don't let people dislike you because you're dumb. Give them more important reasons to dislike (laughs) you. Look, we've all got different personalities. Some of us don't care a bit about what people think. We've got a devil-may-care attitude. We're going to do what we want. I don't care what people say about it. Some of us care too much. I, I think both of these are extremes. Okay, Both are wrong. Some of us care too much, and I'm in a latter category. In God's kindness, I'm growing in my sense of what matters. I'm seeking to serve you not so much out of a desire to please you as to be faithful to God. And in the end, I think that that probably should please you. <laughs> but if it doesn't, I- I've got to take that up with God, not always with you. Now, here's the next part of this. I'm learning that approval does not come through seeking approval. It comes through faithfulness to what Christ has called you to be and be. Here's what I mean. Again, this is a window into my complicated soul, all right? <laughs> if, if you say you don't seek approval at all, You're either lying or you've gotten twisted up somewhere along the way. Even as Christians, even if we don't seek approval from each other, we still want to hear God say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. And that's what Paul's telling Timothy when he says at the beginning, if you put these things before the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. It is not a bad thing to want to hear that you're doing right. You're doing a good job. You're on the right path. But sometimes we make the approval the primary aim. And that's all we're focusing on. And when that happens, everything gets distorted in the process. So it's like making money being the only goal in our work. We become willing to sacrifice integrity in the process. Right? Right? So instead, we seek faithfulness to Christ in whatever he's called us to be and do. So listen to what Paul tells Timothy. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them, Paul says, so that all may see your progress. (laughs) It's a beautiful phrase. There will be an approval that comes along with growing in the ways that God wants you to grow. There will be. But it comes on the way of... Immersing yourself in the things that Christ has really called you to. Do. This is this isn't just for me. This is for all. Of you. Approval doesn't come through seeking approval. It comes through faithfulness to Christ, what He's called us to be and do. Now I'm learning that among the many voices that come, some of them I just imagine them in my head. I admit I need to give careful attention to Christ. Through prayer and the reading of scripture, I have to give a disproportionate amount of time to that as to time with you, honestly. That way I know who I'm listening to and who I'm trying to please. Now, here's the last one. I'm drawing this from a line Bishop Steve used in a video this last week. It struck me very powerful. I'm learning that none of us are victims of an inevitable inadequacy. None of us are victims of an inevitable inadequacy. So Paul says, again, this is verse 6 of 1 Timothy 4, if you put these things before the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. You know what's remarkable about that to me? Paul is assuring Timothy, you can know, Timothy, that you're being a good servant It's not something, being a good servant, feeling like you've done the job. It's not something only for the best and the brightest. Yes, there are things that Christ wants from you and me, that Jesus expects of you and me. But speaking for myself, I find that no matter how many things I do well... I live in a vicious cycle of having to one-up myself. So I go from doing one thing well, feeling that satisfaction for a few moments, and then looking forward to the next thing that I have to do equally or equally well or better. And it's a constant cycle. Sometimes I imagine myself to be one wrong move away from irreparable failure. With me, I, I think I don't think it's but in Christ there is a beautiful freedom that's to be found. Yes, there are things He calls us to do, yes, there's hard work that He calls us to do. Paul says we toil and strive for the sake of godliness, but all our striving as Christians is done as an overflow of Christ's perfection. Our perfectionism does not rule the day, <laughs> no matter how good a perfectionist we are. Christ's perfectionism rules the day, He's achieved what we can't achieve. And you and I, because of that, can hear the words right now. Well done. You're a good servant of mine. So we're not doomed to be inadequate. As students, look, if you're a student in school, you are not doomed to be inadequate. You're not. Christ has enabled you to be a good servant of this. As parents, oh my goodness, doesn't it feel like we're doomed to be inadequate sometimes, all the time? We're not doomed to be inadequate. As employees or employers, Here's the question. What are the things that Christ has really called you to be and do as a parent, as a student, as a spouse, whether, as an employee or employer? What are those things he really called you to be? Notice what Paul says. If you put these things in front of the brothers and sisters, you'll be a good servant. That's the thing he's called them to do. Not all the extraneous stuff that, that the voices that Timothy hears in his head that. What are the things Christ has really called for you to be and do? Not the things you pressure yourself to be for your children, for yourself, for your employer. We have to begin looking to God as the one who gives the final affirmation and approval. Because God, whatever the things are that He does want us to be and do, it's not a trick. He wants to enable you to be and do that. <laughs> so you're not doing failure. You're not doing you <laughs> So again, as I started at the beginning, um, Ebenezer means God has helped us this fall. And the unspoken claim is God will continue to help us. I am so grateful. I am genuinely grateful to God for his faithfulness to me. As I've been thinking about this last five years, for the last few days, I, I'm overwhelmed by how kind he's been to me. And the way I find myself standing here in front of you. And I'm grateful to you for the part you play in that, for the ways that you show me God's kindness and God's grace. I, I'm genuinely grateful. We can trust together that God will be faithful to us.